It's the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA, from the Tri Cities to Olympia to DC, we break down. Break it all down. The stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser with your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson. Well, sports gaming bills have officially dropped in the state legislature. Who's backing them and who benefits? If Democrats in the state legislature have their way, limit the initiative process. We have some initiatives that would have been prohibited to share. And the battle over Janice continues. But first, give us your bottom line. It's your voice, your show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. Welcome into the bottom line. News Radio 610 at KONA, 547-1610 is the number if you'd like to get involved. Also via email. 610k18.com is the page. Bottom line page, name where you're listening, what you'd like to say. And we're on Twitter, bottom line 610, where our poll question for today is where we're going to start. If you remove politics from the equation, okay, what I mean by that is if you remove the lack of civility in our political conversation, just take that off the table, take politics out of it. Do you believe that we are closer to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream or farther away from it? So take politics out of the equation. We're just talking about the way we deal with each other, opportunities that exist, the strive, the dream that that all men are equal. Are we closer to that dream or are we farther away from it in 2020? Five four seven one six ten. If you would like to get involved, um, you know it's a federal holiday, of course. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, uh, remembering the most prominent and prolific civil rights leader of the era. Something he gave his life for. Um, it's very interesting when you look. And, and as time goes on, one of the things that we notice that happens when we, we talk about prominent people is we, as years go on, we remember more of what they stood for and more of what they tried to achieve. And, of course, as the years go on, less people that were there are here now. So when you go back and you look at the civil rights struggle, which began well over, and and what I mean by that in, in the civil rights era of the 1960s, began well over 50 years ago. Many who were there that were walking in the streets, that were marching, that were attending the rallies, there are less of them here now than there were 10 years ago, five years ago. And so much much of what is associated we lose from the first-person perspective and just go on the written accounts, the reports, which, of course, at that time were much more detailed and documented than, than previous periods in history with significant events. There are people who maybe didn't necessarily agree with everything that Dr. King stood for, but agreed 100% with the message that he was putting forward. And that is 
that we all should have the same opportunities that are presented in the United States Constitution, life, liberty, the pursuit of justice, freedom, regardless of what your color, your creed, or anything else, your gender, your orientation has to do with, that we all should have that opportunity to be equal and have the same avenues, the same ability to pursue. And, of course, we all know it wasn't and always has not been that way, not just in our country, but in many other countries. Are we today closer to that dream, the original dream, or are we farther away from it? And I think that when you look at, of course, Dr. King's greatest speech in Washington, D.C., the I Have a Dream speech, you think about the passion in the words, the passion of the man, the tireless advocacy to try and open eyes, open hearts, and change perspectives in a country that was deeply divided regarding the issue. Portions of the country would not move forward, period. No ifs, ands, buts about it. But bit by bit, piece by piece, chip by chip, it started breaking away and breaking through. Many people associate the Deep South of the 1960s as the most resistant area. And while on television, in action, and on paper it was, there were also many areas of the country outside of the Deep South that were also resistant to what Dr. King wanted to do because they didn't necessarily want things to change. They weren't as outwardly, quote, racist as other areas, but there were still deep pockets of divide that existed in the Northeast, on the Atlantic coast, areas of the Midwest. It wasn't just one area that he had to try to convince people that this dream was worth fighting for. And it took long battles in Washington, D.C. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King was under investigation by the FBI for years. In fact, he was in communication with the Kennedy administration. The Kennedy administration had asked him for certain reasons of optics to stop associating with certain people to help his cause because of their links to things that were not popular in the country at that time. And what I mean by that is associations with the Communist Party. You know, and that's one thing that's always been interesting about Dr. King's legacy. And the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, Tennessee, if you've never had a chance to visit or do any 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 research on it, the Civil Rights Museum does an amazing job at presenting Dr. King's legacy in its entirety, in its totality, even some things that would be considered blemishes. They don't brush them over. They present everything. 
and it was necessary to be able to understand the links that continue to be to be pushed forward today regarding Dr. King in that particular element. And Dr. King studied the idea. He realized how much it conflicted with his Christianity in regards to many tenets of it. The one thing that he saw that there was common ground was the equality aspect or the drive and desire and the idea of equality that existed within socialism, not necessarily communism. Economically, he never embraced it. Nor did he ever turn around at one point in time and say, I am a communist. But in order to educate himself and learn about it as much as he could, he did go to meetings and he did study writings. And there were people that did associate with him and were part of the movement that he was asked to not associate with by the by the Kennedy administration to help try and make what he was putting forward more palatable to more of the general public. I mean, really, when you think about it, it's an extremely interesting dynamic. But it's one of those things that we see today. We're going to take a quick time out here on the bottom line. News Radio 610 K1A. Talk a little bit more about this. Plus, we've got plenty more coming back after this. Now back to the bottom line on News Radio 610 KONA, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. It's your voice, your show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509 547 1610. It is the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA, 547 1610, if you'd like to get involved. Jason Hogue with American Family Insurance. We've got a big umbrella for you to fit right under. No matter what you need insurance-wise, they've got it. Homeowners, life, small business, auto, farm. They started with farm over 90 years ago. Huge umbrella for you to take advantage of if you're a small business owner. You want to find out about their small business toolbox. And, of course, everybody's looking for great deals with auto insurance and great policies. Teen and adult safe driver programs. All you have to do is visit his website, jasonhogue.com. Stop by his office on Road 68 in Pasco. Talk with Jason Hogue with American Family Insurance and see what American Family Insurance can do for you. Rob Francis with you this afternoon and taking some time off. Talking about Martin Luther King Day. I want to mention coming up at 3.30, we're going to talk with James Abernathy with the Freedom Foundation as the Janus Supreme Court decision still facing resistance in the state of Washington. We'll talk about that a little bit with James coming up in the next half hour. But um, we received an email from Joel in West Richland saying, different, pull politics out completely, no extreme left, no extreme right. I believe, yes, we are closer to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream than we were when he gave that speech. I think everybody in this country has the same opportunities to pursue their dreams as another, but most are complacent to being comfortable. And you bring up an interesting point, Joel, because... One of the things that we do have the freedom to do is not attempt to exceed or succeed. You know, 
one of the things that 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 we do have the opportunity to do is as little as possible. And that makes us equal in our ability to make choices. It makes us equal in our ability to see and either seize or reject opportunity. But it doesn't put us on equal footing when it comes to where we stand within that society. And I think that when you look at the different directions politically, that is the biggest point that they disagree upon. You know, those on the extreme left believe that everybody should have everything regardless of what you do. Those on the extreme right believe that if you aren't a contributing member of society, that there's not a whole lot of room. Now, I used extreme to identify, yes, that there are extreme philosophies in both elements. I think as you get closer to the center on both sides, you still have a significant amount of people on the right that believe that opportunity exists for all. And if you take advantage of opportunity and put some effort out, that you will find success in your life and you will be able to achieve goals. And I think there are those that are closer to the center on the left that also understand that there is an element of effort that has to be put out in order to be able to be successful in society. But if there are things that prevent you from being able to put out a 100% effort, that there are things within the government's ability to do to help you at least be able to survive. But I agree with you, Joel, that I do think things are better than they were. I think stances have softened. I think ideologies have changed where it comes to how we perceive people in general. And I think ultimately, people generally want to be good to their neighbor. They want to help their fellow man. They want to see their fellow man succeed. where we get into the where we get into the discrepancies is when we have government involvement and we have laws and so on and so forth that some see as unfair and some see some see as not going far enough that's where we get into our differences and discrepancies but as far as the actual belief and the actual feeling about our fellow man i don't know that there is that much of a difference I don't know that there is overall such such an extreme difference in sight between people. Now, yes, you you still have people that that do that, that have their their, <clears throat> and I'm not. I don't want to use the word prejudice because it's not the proper word. Um, you you have people who have a extreme bias against individuals because of color, creed, gender, orientation, and you're always going to have those. They're always going to exist. You're never going to have a utopian society where everyone is willing to give everyone the benefit of the doubt 
and allow them to be who they are, live the life they want to live, because there are people out there that just have a certain belief system that will not allow that. It is their right to have. It's their right to have. It's their right to believe however they want to believe. Turning it to action becomes a different story. But everybody has the right to believe what they want to believe, whether or not we agree or disagree. But I think as we look back at the legacy of Dr. King and what he was able to accomplish in the amount of time that he had, it's one of the more significant accomplishments that we have seen in our history. While it was a movement, it was a movement that didn't become a war. And if you think about it, many of the most significant changes that have happened in countries happened in a battle where arms were raised. Yes, did people die in the civil rights movement? Absolutely, they did. There's no question that that people gave their lives, Dr. King among them, in this movement. But his movement was a movement of passive aggression, of pushing your movement forward without a violent means, of convincing, winning over hearts and winning over minds. And if you look back through our history and the radical changes that happened, the things that that, that changed the direction of our country, it may well be the only one that happened that did not involve a declaration of war. There were many casualties, there were many fatalities, but the passivity, the passive aggressive approach, the we are not going to back down from what we believe and we are going to yell it as loud as we can until people realize that every man, woman, and child should have the same opportunity. The force of the message never changed. But certainly many minds and hearts were won over because people saw the abuse and the horrific treatment that many protesters received. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very... It's always a difficult discussion because there are many people that want to insert other elements into it. But as we put in our poll question for today at Bottom Line 610 at 610 KONA Radio, take the politics out of it. Do you believe we're closer to Dr. King's dream or farther away from it? At Bottom Line 610 at 610 KONA Radio. We come back, we're going to talk with James Abernathy with the Freedom Foundation. Janice is still under assault in Washington State. More lawsuits are being filed just to be able to uphold your constitutional right. We'll talk to James when we come back. It's a bottom line. News Radio 610-KONA. This is Martin Luther King Jr. Holiday.
610. Now, back to the show. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Crossing. Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610 K1A 547-1610 is the number to dial. Rob Francis hanging with you this Martin Luther King Day. Ed Dawson taking some time off. Joining me on the line right now is James Abernathy with the Freedom Foundation. Thanks for your time this afternoon, James. Appreciate you being able to join the program. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. So, James, the Freedom Foundation uh, today filed a class action lawsuit against the University of Washington on behalf of union employees. Uh, Once again, this goes back to the Janus ruling. Talk to us a little bit about the basis uh, of this particular lawsuit against the university, and we'll go a little bit more in talking about the resistance to Janus that we're still seeing, particularly in the Northwest. Well, the plaintiffs are, as you said, University of Michigan employees who simply want to be left alone by the union. And in this case, the union is SEIU 925. But the union won't leave them alone. They just want to uh, opt out of paying money to the union. But the union won't let her, or the the plaintiffs, and the university only listens to the union instead of its own employees. And so uh, what happens is unions all across the state of Washington are forcing people to continue paying union dues even after uh, the employees object to paying the union dues usually based on agreements that the unions trick the employees into signing um, back before the Supreme Court issued the Janus case, uh, which, of course, as you know, uh, made compulsory union dues illegal. And so these agreements, they they tricked them into signing these agreements that have provisions that limit their ability to opt out. Of course, these agreements don't inform the employees of their rights. The unions never do. It's not in their interest. And when the time comes for them to opt out, when they finally learn of their rights from the Freedom Foundation, the union will not let them uh, stop paying money to the union. Now, James, we know that Washington State, among others, have tried to pass pieces of legislation or put things in to try and circumvent the Janus ruling. Uh, Is there anything that you're aware of that's been passed at the legislative level or would prevent anyone who belongs to a public service union from opting out at any time they wish? Well, over the last year or so, of course, the unions knew Janice was coming down, so they've spent a lot of money on lobbying legislatures. And so uh, depending on, you know, uh, which public employer employees work for, there's different laws out there that require the public employers to honor these so-called agreements that don't inform employees of their rights. And then the unions also got passed uh, laws that say that the employer the – employer has to only listen to the union when it comes to who to take money from out of their paycheck. So if the employee objects to the employer to, say, in this case, the University of Washington, the University of Washington has to ignore the employee because of a Washington state law that requires the employer, the university in this case, to listen to the union. And, of course, the unions are biased, of course. They want to violate these workers' rights in order to fill their coffers. But the state is powerless to do anything about it because of the law that got passed. Now, the last time I checked, though, can a state put in something that directly violates a Supreme Court decision? No, they can't. 
So basically what they're doing is they're trying to pull the wool over people's eyes, which, you know, not not so much of a shock considering the way Washington state's government is currently made up very much in the pockets of the public service unions. So as we look at this, Janice is not a new ruling. It's been now for uh, well over a year, close to two years now, if I remember correctly, James. We've seen this from the beginning. We've seen the fight at at certain in st- certain states from the beginning, trying to prevent people from enacting their right to opt out. And and unions have lost billions of dollars since this has passed. Correct? Yes, they have, and they are doing their best to uh, stop the bleeding. And the unions knew that Janice was coming down the block, so even a, up to a year, maybe a year and a half before the Supreme Court issued its decision in Janus, they were busy lobbying government and state legislators all across the country to pass laws that will make it more difficult for employees to stop paying union dues once they learn of their rights, because the, the employers don't tell them of their rights and the unions don't tell them what their rights are. It comes, it comes down to the Freedom Foundation uh, letting, letting them know what their rights are. And then when the unions and the uh, employers don't honor their objections and their desire to not want to be associated with the union anymore, they can cite to these laws that they got passed uh, to try to keep the money coming in. And it's it's unconstitutional. I think they know it, and it's just a matter of time uh, before uh, the courts start ruling against them. And uh, they know, though, that the odds of them ever having to pay this money back are low. So they're they're gambling with other people's money, the employees' money, which is paid by the taxpayers. So they're gambling with taxpayers' money throughout this whole process, and it's 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 corrupt to the core. We're talking with James Abernathy, he's the senior litigation counsel of the Freedom Foundation, and the gentleman who filed the brief this afternoon in court against the University of Washington, uh, class action lawsuit. Um, as you once again, SEIU nine twenty five. Uh, trying to prevent employees from being able to opt out from paying union dues under the Janus decision. Now, this is one brief that's been filed, James. How many lawsuits does the Freedom Foundation have out there still regarding the Janus decision at the Supreme Court level? I think altogether we've got a total of about 50 uh, that um, can be categorized in various different ways, different ways to try to... uh, defend people's rights under the Janus decision because the unions and the public employers are getting creative in how uh, they violate workers' rights. And what they what they really hope on and lean on is they want to keep the employees in ignorance. They don't want them to know their rights. And once they do know their rights, they want to make it as difficult as possible to exercise those rights. And that's what they've been doing through the law that makes it extremely difficult. And that's why the Freedom Foundation has to step up because most of these employees, they don't have the resources that the union has, right? The union is bringing in tens of millions of dollars every year. And these employees, they don't have the kind of money that it takes to litigate against these unions. And the unions rely on that. Um, and they bully. They're, they're high-priced bullies nowadays. You know, in the old days, they had uh, their methods back then. Now they use high-priced lawyers to do it. Uh, through litigation and intimidation, and the foundation is stepping up to that. Now, James, we're talking with James Abernathy with the Freedom Foundation here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. For those that may wonder what process this goes through, because we are talking about. Uh, b- 
behavior associated with a United States Supreme Court decision. Do these filings first go to the state level, or do these immediately go into the federal level, considering that the last ruling came from the U.S. Supreme Court? They immediately go into federal court. And so uh, they're, Washington, Washington has two federal courts, the Eastern District and Western District. And uh, this particular case is in the Western District. And so um, once we get through the the district court, that's the trial court, we get to the Ninth Circuit, uh, which is the first court of appeals. And then after that, it's the U.S. Supreme Court. And as we all know, the Ninth Circuit is not uh, does not typically side with people who are fighting against unions. And so um, we are hoping the Ninth Circuit will do the right thing when these cases go up on appeal. And there recently there have been more judges appointed uh, by the Trump administration, which um, um, should make a difference on the Ninth Circuit. But right now the Ninth Circuit is, is not very friendly. It might come down to the U.S. Supreme Court having to enforce its own decision, enforce Janus. And if the Supreme Court is forced to do that, I don't think it would be too happy. No, I imagine it wouldn't. So you're already kind of taking for granted that you're going to lose in district court in western Washington and are going to have to file an appeal. That's what the track record has been, has been over the last year and a half. And so uh, we we know we're probably going to end up in the Ninth Circuit uh, arguing, the, making these arguments. And, of course, these arguments are superior to the unions and the employers' arguments. It's just difficult to... Um, get judges to understand uh, exactly how Janice should be applied and to get politics out of the way. So much of this is clouded by politics, and um, it gets frustrating because it's the employees who need the help, and that's who we're trying to help. Um, we're not doing this on behalf of anybody other than the employees themselves, and they've been it's been the employees versus the union for decades, for generations, and um, they haven't had any, anybody to help, and that's why we love stepping up to help them and taking on unions because unions are very politically powerful. They're a special interest group, even though they'd like to think they're not, but they are. And so, um, yeah, we anticipate this going before the Ninth Circuit and possibly before the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, James, call me naive, but in my very simple understanding of things, when the U.S. Supreme Court sends down a ruling, that is supposed to be the guidance for not just the other federal courts, but it's also supposed to provide a guidance at the state level as well because it is the highest court in the land and therefore it has made a decision. Is the level, and, and people have complained about this for some time, the level of activism in the judiciary, is it just completely and totally intentionally flying in the face of Supreme Court rulings it doesn't like? Or are we actually talking about judges that are appointed on certain benches that really don't grasp the rulings that are coming down from the Supreme Court? I, I, I tend to err on the side of believing that they're competent and that they, they, um, they let politics get in the way and influence them, I believe. Now, the, the legal basis for their decisions, sometimes it's based on technicalities. You know, uh, they'll, they'll dismiss a case or they'll, um, they'll rule against an employee based on uh, legal technicalities and things like that. But, um, you know, these, these judges are, are very smart. I, I don't question uh, their competence at all. I, I question their judicial philosophy. And uh, who who the judges are in these cases is, is very important. And I think people underestimate the, the importance of who is nominating, uh, appointing, and appointing these judges. Um, 
because if you don't get judges with the right judicial philosophy, you're going to get bad decisions. And I think that's largely what we've had in the Ninth Circuit for a long time. And um, I think we're starting to make headway. And I think these cases make good arguments. And so I I know that they're uh, gaining traction even on the Ninth Circuit. And so I'm holding out hope. I'm not I'm not too negative about it quite yet, but uh, we'll we'll see what happens. James Abernathy, he's a member of the Senior Litigation Council with the Freedom Foundation, filed a brief today against the University of Washington and SEIU 925 specifically as fallout from the Janus Supreme Court decision still being felt in Washington State. James, we appreciate your time this afternoon, and we certainly will be following this. Uh, Look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks a lot. James Abernathy with Freedom Foundation. Appreciate his time this afternoon. Always interesting to follow when you try to circumvent the law, particularly when it is the U.S. Supreme Court. We know how much public service union dollars are valued here in Washington State. Give us your bottom line. Call 509-547-1610. Now, back to the show. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610-KONA. 547-1610. If you'd like to get involved in the program, going right to the phones. You're up. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hi, it's Bernie from Kennewick. What's up, Bernie? Well, about the uh, union issue. Uh-huh. Um... I, I used to be a, a union member, but not by choice. Uh, and because the union does have good sides and bad sides, some of us remember from issues on history we've seen on different TV programs that workers' rights and how they were treated 100 years ago and above and below that were just terrible. And so the unions did a lot of good back then, and... And they still tend to do so, I think, somewhat. But what the bad side is, I don't like them telling me I can or cannot work for there, especially if they go on strike. I want to keep on working, man. So that's the the plus and the minus. Thanks for the call, Bernie. Appreciate it. 547-1610 if you want to get involved. Got an email from Frank on the issue. He's listening in Kennewick, says as it pertains to employees opting out of union membership, I'm okay with it as long as they opt out if, of all of it. No representation at grievances or punishment meetings, no contract negotiating on their behalf for wages and benefits because lawyers for labor and contracts cost money. So if one wants to opt out, they should repeal what is it, the Hatch Act, I think, which allows people to opt out but retain all the protections. Seems kind of Seems kind of crazy. Opt out if you want, but opt out all the way. I'll be honest with you. I don't disagree with you, Frank. Uh, I don't think it's the Hatch Act. The Hatch Act um, refers to federal employees and uh, taking positions on certain things or, or um, yeah, I'm going to look it up real quick. But the Hatch Act, um, it's it, it appeals to federal uh The main provision prohibits employees of the executive branch of the federal government, except the president, vice president, and high-level officials from engaging uh, in some forms of political activity. That's the Hatch Act. Uh, When you're talking about this, I don't disagree with you. I think if you do want out of the union and you don't want to pay the dues, 
then you can opt out of all elements of it. Then you're creating two workforces. You're creating a union workforce and you're creating an at-will workforce. So for public sector employees particularly, you would be looking at a union-represented force and a non-union-represented force, and then think about how that would play out when it comes to teachers, government employees, anybody that's in a public service union, you would be creating two separate workforces. And again, I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you on that option. But then you've got you've got some other issues that you'd have to deal with because then you would have to make sure that, well, everybody's getting paid the same, union or non-union. You can't say union employees get to make more money than non-union employees for the same job. So that's where it becomes very sticky as to whether or not you can actually create that kind of a break. Again, I'd be all for investigating it and seeing how it works, but then you can't come back to, again, where you are. If you do create those two separate workforces under the public service banner, you can't have union representation making more than non-union representation and vice versa. So everybody would be on the same contract. Everybody would be making the same based on the same years, which... Then again, raises the question as to why would you need them? Because if the non-union people are making the same as the union people, which they have to by law, why would you need the union to negotiate anything? So it is a very interesting dynamic for sure. Um, But... We'll see how the courts resolve it. I also want to read an email we got from Dean in Kennewick as to King's Dream. We're a lot closer than we were in 1966. I was fired from a Lincoln, Nebraska service station job for accepting a credit card from a black person. That would not happen these days. All I can say is, wow, Dean. Wow. Somebody's money wasn't good enough in 1966, regardless of that's just stunning to me. Absolutely stunning to me on so many levels. But again, I wasn't alive in 1966. I wasn't of working age in 1966. And I certainly wasn't a product of a bygone time uh, where I would even have a thought to reject anything from anybody of a different skin color, let alone a credit card payment at a gas station. Mm. Just kind of stunning to me. But then again, what can I say? We're going to take a quick time out. Come back with more next hour. Representative Brandon Vick from the 18th Legislative District will join us to talk about his sports gaming bill that's been introduced in the House. There's a companion Senate bill to go with it as well that would legalize sports gambling in the state of Washington. Who would benefit? Also, we'll touch on the rallies today and over this past weekend in Washington State as the assault on the Second Amendment continues in full force. And in in Virginia, it's ugly. It's very ugly. Plus... 
We'll let you know some initiatives that you never would have seen if Democrats have their way and limit your ability to be involved in the initiative process. More of the bottom line in 10.